Uh, good morning to everyone. Uh, Happy New Year. Hope you had a good uh, Christmas time with your family, your friends. Um, as Elder said, I'm Nathan Brown, one of the leaders here at Village South, and I'm so glad to be here. I want to welcome you. Uh, just so glad you're here. After service, we'd love to connect with you if this is your first time gathering with us today. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, New Year's have always been a time of reflection and contemplation for, for me personally. I, I know many of you take this moment to really contemplate, consider what the, what the last year was like and what the next year could be in 2022 and, and how it can be even better than the last year. We often contemplate what the next year is going to hold for us and, and make all these resolutions, right, about what, the, what we'd like to see in the next year. Um, there's plenty of resolutions to consider. Um, many of us go immediately to our health. We want to uh, make the next year a year where we're going to, you know, lose a stone or two. We're going to go work out more. We're going to maybe stop smoking or eat better or eat clean or, or whatever. Uh, for some of you, you're, you're making decisions to do things spiritually. You want to read through the Bible this year. You want to finally get into a missional community or whatever that looks like for you. Uh, or maybe you want to be more adventurous, like, you know, COVID has cramped everyone's style this year, right? It's, it's made it very difficult for us to travel and see the world and do new things and try new hobbies. And, and so maybe this is the year you're going to get out, you're going to see things that you haven't seen before, you're going to go try new things that you've never done before. Whatever it is, we usually are trying to change the next season based on what the current season or what the past season held for us. We're contemplating what the new year holds for us because it's built on a foundation uh, of reflection on the previous year. We, we are trying to lose weight because we gained weight last year. We're, we're trying to uh, be healthy because we were unhealthy, in our opinion, from last year. We're, we're trying to be uh, grow spiritually because maybe we didn't feel uh, a tremendous amount of growth from the previous year. Whatever it is, we're, we're always basing these resolutions on previous, uh, our previous life or the year before. And so this previous year was obviously very challenging in the life of a pandemic, uh, but maybe it's also the, the stress of your job, or maybe it is your health. Maybe it is a relational difficulty that you're going through. Um, but maybe, I, I hope maybe this year you've taken time to pause. I know for me, usually New Year's is a time of pause and reflection. Uh, also, my birthday's in May, so that's also kind of a time of reflection. So every about five, six months, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the season I'm in and kind of what the next year holds for me and my, me and my family. And so, but often we, we ask when we look back, especially this last year, why did God allow that, fill in the blank, why did God allow that to happen this year? Why did I have to go through that experience? Why did I have to go through that trial and that difficulty? Why did I have to go through that season of pain? Um, you know, for, for over a year, our family has been trying to get into West Belfast uh, to find a place to call home so that we can um, move, move forward with uh, God willing, planning a church in that community. But for whatever reason, God hasn't opened that door. We've been praying about it. Many of you have been praying about that as well. And yet God hasn't opened that door. God, why did you not allow this to happen? Um, our pastor, Andrew, like he's, he's had a year, right? He's had the last couple of months uh, going on sabbatical. He's, he's, he's uh, missing from, from his church family for a few months as he's gone away for rest and refreshment. Comes back, immediately decides to shatter his ankle. Um, and then he finally is starting to get over that. And then he gets COVID. It's like, dude, what's going on with you? Um, but we can look back at all these the seasons with like big question marks. God, why did you allow me to go through this? And as we're going through this passage today, Israel is also kind of in a season of reflection. They're, they're kind of contemplating, why are we in the state of things that we are in right now? Um, and as Elder asked me to preach uh, this week, he, he just basically said, preach whatever you know, God lays on your heart. 
And so I was praying about it and really felt like this was the right passage for us to focus on this morning. And specifically, I have three things uh, from this text that we're going to kind of draw out um, for us to, that I believe it'd be wise for us as a church to grow in the season ahead. Um, it's three things, it's, uh, that we would grow in the a sensitivity of the spirit, an eagerness to fearlessness, and a readiness to receive. A sensitivity to the spirit, a, an eagerness to fearlessness, and a readiness to receive. And I'll kind of go over those as we're going through the, the passage here today. Um, I just want to provide a, a little bit of background on what's going on so we can understand a little bit better the context of what's going on. Israel had been through a season of uh, it was tumultuous few centuries here. They had been, um, as you can remember, they had uh, been enslaved in Egypt. And uh, finally, the Lord heard their cries and their pleas for freedom. And so they, uh, through the miraculous of, of Moses and, and through God's work, through the plagues and all of that, they were uh, released from their bondage and they were allowed to go to the promised land of Canaan. And they, they went there. However, they couldn't remain faithful to God. They continually began to, to worship the gods of other nations and, and they began to uh, have their hearts turn cold and they begin to abandon God entirely. And when this happened, God would discipline them. He would send other nations to come in, and they would rule over them, and it would be a time of just great difficulty for the Israelites. They would realize what was happening. They would repent of their sins. They would repent of what God had done. or They would repent of how they had sinned against God, rather, and they would plead for his help and plead for his salvation. And God would always answer it. He would send up a, a judge who would come in, and miraculously, there's so many stories of judges who God raised up to free the Israelites from their bondage. And eventually, this, they, they, get, they grew, you know, this happened. It was rinse and repeat. It just, every single story, that it would be the same exact story with different, different characters. And so this would continue to happen. And eventually, the, the Israelites just grew tired of having a theocracy, which is basically just where God is their king. They didn't want God to be their king. They wanted a flesh and blood king. They wanted that so desperately. And so they pleaded with God, God, give me this. This is what we want. We want to be like all the other nations in the world. We want to be just like them. Please give us a, a, a flesh and blood king that we can um, serve under. And so they did that. And as long as that king was faithful, Israel was okay. But oftentimes, more than not, they were, those kings were unfaithful. They, they continued to do the same things. They would continue to uh, be unfaithful to God and worship uh, the, the gods of other nations. And so this continued to happen uh, year in and year out. It um, proved to be with Saul when he was the first king and, and uh, then, then David and, and then Solomon. And then the kingdom was split in two. And then where we're at today is about 100 years after Solomon um, stepped down and, and passed away. Um, after he left his throne. And so in this season, Syria, which is north of Israel, Syria had been in an on-again, off-again war with the nation of Israel. And so we, we know that this has been, uh, apparently this had been kind of going on for several years, at least possibly even several decades, that this on-again, off-again conflict had been happening. And so in the time that we're reading this passage today, there's a very uh, weak, either a weak peace agreement or there's some kind of ceasefire that's taking place. They're in a time of, of kind of there's tension, there's, there's worry, that there, there's rumors that these wars are going to kind of start up again. And so as we're getting into this passage today, there's, there's three uh, people that we need to pay attention to. Naaman, uh, an unnamed servant girl, and the prophet Elisha. Now, we learn from verse 1 that Naaman was a man of incredible wealth. He was a man of incredible power. He's essentially the second command of the country. He's leading his nation's armies. He's a man of great power. Um, and then there's something that's very interesting that, that you read in, in verse 1. It says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory 
to Syria. That last part, you just want to pay attention to you. Because by him, by, by Naaman, the Lord had given victory to Syria. Now, who did they have victory over? They had victory over the Israelites. And so God had orchestrated all of this for his perfect purposes. And this victory wasn't due to Naaman's superior abilities as a general. It wasn't because his, his men were braver than the Israelites. It wasn't because of that. It's because God, uh, Yahweh, the creator of, of everything, could, as a matter of fact, had used a pagan, pagan enemy to accomplish what he wanted to be done on earth. The other striking thing that we, we, will, we will notice as we spend time in the text today is that he has leprosy. Now, this, this Hebrew word for leprosy, it's, it's, very, uh, it's very generic in its meaning. So it would be equivalent to us saying, you know, this person has a lung disease. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean they have asthma, you know, tuberculosis, cancer? Like, what, what, is, what do they have? It's very generic. And so for him to have a skin disease, it could have been uh, where, he had skin, uh, where he had leprosy. He could have skin lesions. He could have, like, a fungal infection. No one really knows what he had. But he had something that he was very concerned about. In fact, he was so worried, he, he believed that he was going to die from this. He had great concern over this. And so this introduces us to the, main, the second main character in, in verse 2. As a young female servant who doesn't even... Uh, who isn't even named in the scripture. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. This, this young child was the victim of war. In the previous conflict, the, the Syrians had come in and invaded the Hebrew lands and had taken this young child away from her family, from her culture, from her kin. And she was, she, was, she was very young, but she wasn't too young to understand who God was. She wasn't to understand that God was at work through the prophet in Samaria. And so we can only assume up to this point that Naaman had tried everything, that he had gone to his, the best doctors in his, in his land, that he had gone to every physician that he could, and they had all failed him. And so when this little child says these words, she, uh, she gives this, uh, this word to, to Naaman's mistress, and uh, Naaman believes that this might be his solution in a crazy set of circumstances. And so he goes to his king. He says, king, I've got good news and I've got bad news. He's like, you know that nasty skin thing I have? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty gross. Yeah, uh, well, I, I hear through one of my servants that there's this person who can heal me. And so I just wanted your permission. Can I go and see if they can, they can cure me? Yeah, that's, that's no problem. Okay, what's the bad news? The bad news is that the person lives in Israel. Ugh, like that, that's, yeah. So, so this, this contention kind of takes place. And so the king basically writes like a permission slip uh, for Naaman to, to take with him. And so Naaman goes with this permission slip, and he goes with all this money. It says that he brought 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Now for us, that's like, I have no idea what that means. But uh, when you research it, this is a lot of money. This is about a half a billion pounds sterling. This is a lot of money. He's going with all of his resources because he is that desperate. He may be one of the strongest and mightiest people in the known world, but if he dies of this, he's not going to be right. He's desperate for a cure. 
And these 10 changes of clothes, uh, basically what this is, these are 10 rolls of the finest linen. This is, this is not necessarily just 10 this random, here's 10 clothes, uh, here's, 10, here's 10 sets of wardrobe. It's, it's basically 10 rolls, and so they would, they would uh, you know, spool this on the, the, the rolls. And so this would be the best of the best of the clothing in the known world. And what they're implying is that Naaman believes that this, this prophet, this healer, is a, is a part of the royal entourage because they're royal clothing. And so he's believing that uh, this is who Elisha is going to be. And so he's going in. Um, so he goes to Israel, Naaman does, and he goes with all of his servants, all of his chariots, all of this money. Um, and so he brings this letter to the king um, of Israel from the king of Syria hands it to him, and the king of Israel reads it, and he gets really nervous here because he sees it as a possible provocation of war. Why does he do that? Well, you have to understand this is a very, you know, a very tense situation, remember? This is a very tense because this, this peace that is existing right now is not very strong. And so the king was worried if, if this guy doesn't get his healing that he's wanting, that this could, this could be, you didn't heal me or you killed me accidentally, <laughs> Like this is a, this could be a, a a conflict that is brewing. It would be like a general in from Russia uh, going to Ukraine to see a cancer specialist. It would be something to be like, "Ooh, I hope that goes really well. If not, that's going to go really badly." And in verse seven, he reads this. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, "Am I God to kill or to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me." So it says the king of Israel tore his clothes because he's so worried about what's going to happen that, he's, that, that Naaman may not get healed. And so he's very worried that this is going to create a, a large-scale war and that he and his people might be killed because of it. And so you just see, if you, I kind of call this the hot mess. Uh, this is just a mess waiting to happen. You see it from Naaman's eyes. He's coming in. He's like, great, I'm going to go to this place. And in his mind, it's going to be very simple. I'm going to go. I'm going to get my cure. I'm going to come back. I'm going to pay for it. It's going to be great. And so Naaman goes, he goes to the king, all of a sudden the king's like ripping his clothes off, that's weird, and then, all right, where's, where's this holy man, he's not a part of the royal entourage, where is this guy, I thought he was like a big name, he's not even here, and so the king's like, you gotta go see, gotta go see him, and so Naaman goes to see Elisha, he goes to his house, and so uh, he's going to his house with all of his money, with all of the chariots, obviously you would hear him from, from miles away, all this noise coming to your house, and what does Elisha do? He's sensitive to the Spirit's leading because he doesn't do what logic would tell him to do, which is obviously to go and meet this like, very important person. He sends out his servant to talk to him. He doesn't even have the decency to talk to the man. And so we'll come back to this, but we must have a sensitivity to the Spirit. And I want to explain a little bit what I mean by that by that phrase, because being sensitive usually has two meanings. Um, first, the, the first meaning is that you can be easily hurt. So if I say, you know, Mark is being really sensitive here, like he's getting his feelings hurt a little too easily, right? But you can also, when I, when I say being sensitive, you can also be sensitive because you, you have an awareness of another person's needs, an awareness of the emotions of others, and so you're very careful with how you approach a situation uh, because you're aware that your words and actions uh, may go positively or negatively to that person. So I would say Bill really handled that very sensitively. That's a different way to understand being sensitive to the Spirit. And so when I'm saying that, on one hand, I'm saying that we must see the wounds that our sins cause 
and how it grieves the Holy Spirit, not just our sins, but also the sins of our city and the sins of our world and how that grieves the Holy Spirit. And that isn't, like, that isn't a complex thought, right? Sin is abhorrent to God. He's perfectly holy, and so he's repelled by sins, and so that, that should be something that we, we have an awareness of. Um, in Ephesians 4, uh, 30 says, uh, cautions us with these words, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. But also on the other hand, and what I'm challenging us to become is, is Holy Spirit. I'm contending that we must be aware of what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do actively through us today. What is he actively speaking to us today? Now, rightly, we know that the Holy Spirit is, 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 is speaking to us through his word, right? Uh, he would never contradict himself. We should test everything against the standard of scripture. Does it agree with Christ? Does it agree with the apostles? Um, however, we, we must know that the Holy Spirit is active in the life. In John 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He is speaking, or are we listening? He is commanding, are we obeying? Let, let us not quench the Spirit, but let us be wise and sober-minded here. Um, you know, let's say you're unsure about how to handle a situation. Maybe, maybe you feel like you, maybe you should have a coworker. And so you're kind of feeling that. Do you think that's from Satan or from God? Um, more than likely, that's from God, right? That, that, that's not really something that Satan's really happy about or very excited about. That's not really something that's probably something he would want you to do. Or, or maybe he wants you to forgive someone that really hurts you. Like, do you believe that that's from Satan or from God? Like, obviously, that's from God. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says that we should not quench the Spirit. In verse, 20, it says, in verse 21, it says that we should test everything. The normal life of a Christian is faithful, consistent obedience. That's what God is asking of his people. As he is leading, let us follow. As he is speaking, let us listen. As he is commanding, let us obey. And as we return to this text here, Elisha, Elisha, and yet he doesn't go out to greet one of the most powerful men in the known world. This would be like uh, the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, showing up at your house all of a sudden. Like, you don't have to meet them, but it's kind of weird if you don't, right? Um, and so Elisha is paying attention to what the Spirit is telling him to do here. And he doesn't do what common sense, he doesn't do what logic normally would tell him to do. Instead, he, he goes and sends his servant to talk to Naaman, and the servant tells him, go to the River Jordan and bathe seven times, and you'll find your healing. And from Naaman's viewpoint, he, he doesn't even, like, how dare he not even have the decency to come out and meet me? Like, how dare he not do that? And so Naaman is angry. Doesn't he realize who I am? Because war doesn't heal him. Doesn't he understand the power that I hold to come back and, and take over Israel? Like, I have the power to send my armies and take over Israel if I wanted to. I could invade you again. And yet, if he does give him a healing... Elisha just won the lottery, like half a billion sterling, right? It would be an incredible amount of money. He would be on the Forbes rich list. Like he would be, um, he would be very well off. But Elisha senses what the Spirit is telling him. He sends out his servant. Naaman here is angry. He's embarrassed. 
he feels mocked. He, he had had this kind of this episode with the king, which was really weird. And then he goes and sees the prophet, and that's really weird. And so he's expecting this great public ceremony. He's expecting the, the waving of the hands, this magic incantation. This, but he doesn't receive what he's expecting. Instead, he's told to go to the River Jordan and bathe in the, the muddy, smelly, foul Jordan River. Like, you don't take a bath in muddy water, right? You take a bath in clean water. And so Naaman asks himself, like, why in the world, out of all the places in the world, why would I go to the Jordan River and bathe? Like, the rivers back home are crystal clean, stinky, nasty Jordan River and bathe. And he's just fed up with it. And if it wasn't for his own servants who challenged him and said, listen, if, if Elisha told you to do something impossible, you would have done it. Like, just try it. Let's see what happens. What do you have to lose? And so, Elisha, uh, so Elisha's word sticks with him, and Naaman goes to the Jordan River. Now, the viewpoint of any Israelite, you also have to think of how they're seeing every, every single Hebrew in that area. Because they would have seen the, the, the fact that Naaman was sick with this disease as only good news. This is our enemy. This is our most feared enemy. And he's sick? Like, of course, that would be something that they would feel like that's actually a blessing to us that he is sick. Because if he's sick or he's dead, either way, he's probably not invading. And so, however, could see the bigger picture through the lens of God's grace. So we must understand what, what when, I'm, when we're talking about Naaman's healing here, that Elisha isn't making any friends. He isn't making um, any his neighbors and his fellow citizens very happy here by offering this pagan enemy of theirs the means to healing. You know, what side are you on here, Elisha? I thought, you were, I thought you were on God's side here. Why would you be doing this? Why would you be worrying about this guy? Aren't there enough sick people in Israel that you could heal? Like, why would you want to do this? And Elisha here was certainly fearless because he wasn't concerned about what the king thought. He wasn't concerned about what Naaman thought. He wasn't concerned about what his fellow countrymen thought. He was only concerned with what God thought. And he wanted to, be, uh, he wanted to listen and obey what the Spirit was telling him. And that, and that said, we too, the second thing here is we can have an eager, eagerness to fearlessness. And as kind of in retrospect, probably not the best way to phrase that, but um, I'm not saying that we should just go out and do everything because we have a wild hair. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying that as the Spirit is leading us, we can walk in fearlessness. We can walk in boldness because we know that the Spirit is guiding us through that. We see this not just in the life of Elisha here. We also see that through the servant girl. She was really fearless because she didn't have any power. She didn't wield any great influence. She was just a simple girl. She was a, she was a Hebrew living in a foreign land. She was a servant, one of the lowest servants in the household. And compared to Naaman, the power dynamics couldn't be any more stark. He's a mighty man. man a very, he's a commander. He has fame. She doesn't have any of this. And so despite her captivity, she's not bitter. She's not even unhelpful. She simply shares what she knows about the Lord and, out of, and the prophet that lives in Samaria because she has a concern for Naaman and his mistress. And she has a desire to see God's glory. And just as I sent the Spirit and speak, so would she do the same. You know, as the, the early church was getting established, they were going through a wave of persecution, wave after wave of persecution, and, and they were... The, the government was trying to squash what they were doing, their, their, their movement. And so the disciples gathered together and they prayed. 
then they didn't they didn't pray for their safety. They didn't pray for that everything would go their way. You know what they prayed for in Acts 4? Prayed for boldness. It says this, and now Lord, this now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They prayed for boldness to share the goodness and the glory of the Lord. And we read in a few verses later that their prayers were answered. It reads, And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answered their prayer. They, they received exactly what they needed. They were given great boldness. And I believe boldness can only come through two things, really an outworking of the Holy Spirit within you. Or this. But I also believe that boldness comes through an understanding and awareness of God's kingdom at work. Because the apostles didn't just share Jesus' work on the cross because they were masochists. They didn't enjoy being tortured. They didn't enjoy, enjoy being thrown in prison. They didn't enjoy uh, being killed. They did it because they understand Christ, his work on the cross, kingdom that had been brought to earth. It was worth it because Christ was worth it. And the servant girl here, she didn't share with Naaman because she liked the guy. This guy had come in and taken her, stripped her from her own land, taken her from her family, her culture, her home. He stole her childhood. He stole her freedom. Yet this young child, this girl who isn't even named, she understood God's kingdom. She understood God's grace. And she understood that God's grace wasn't just limited to her, but to this mighty man as well. We can be missional because we serve a missional God. Um, God being missional is not a new thing. Um, if, if we assume that God only cares for the people outside of Israel when we get to the book of Jonah, um, that's actually not true. Uh, when, when God calls Jonah to go to the, go to the city of Nineveh and, 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 and for Jonah to go and proclaim who God is and for them to repent of their sins, if, if that's kind of our understanding of, of God's work to the outside world in the Old Testament, we'd be dead wrong. Um, in fact, we read this in, in this work today in, in the story of Naaman. Like This is a story of God reaching out to people outside of the Hebrew culture to tell them about the goodness and grace of God. You know, when the Hebrews were enslaved in Egypt, as I mentioned earlier, and God is removing them from their bondage, he's not using the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea to Egyptian or to kill them. Like, that's not God's plan. Because God could have completely wiped them out. Like, God could have heard the prayers of the Hebrews and said, okay, boop, done a Thanos thing, and like all these people are dead. All these Egyptians are dead, and all the Hebrews are, are free to go. No, what does he do? He, he allows the plagues to happen. And the next time you read through the book of Exodus, I challenge you to count how many times this phrase comes up. It's, uh, it's this. It says, so that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. I counted five times that that is mentioned in the book of Exodus. It's twice in chapter 7, once in chapter 8, and twice again in 14. He's not only concerned with the, with the Hebrews, He's concerned with the Egyptians as well. He's concerned with those living in, just like he's concerned with those living in Rome, just like he's concerned with those living in North Korea, in the Middle East, 
and uh, the, the, the refugees who live next door to us and the people who live on the other side of the peace line. He's concerned with all of these people. And as we read through, through the narrative of Exodus 12 with the plagues and everything, if you're not looking, you're, you're going to miss it. But it says that not a small number of Egyptians join the plagues happen and they're leaving and departing to the promised land. That Egyptians who had seen all of that has taken place, had seen all that had taken place with the plagues and, and everything, that they put their faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they go with the Hebrews into the unknown of the wilderness. They had put their faith in God. God's concern is always for the lost, always for the people who don't know him. He always has that concern for them. Now, if the Spirit is guiding you in something, um, let me just say, feel freedom to seek the wisdom of the community, surely, but don't be held back by fear. Walk in boldness. Share your faith. Walk in complete trust. And that leads us to our kind of our final point here today, that we must have hearts ready to receive. Uh, Naaman was ready to receive a healing, but it was on his terms. He wanted his healing, but he wanted to pay for it. He wanted his healing, but he expected honor to be brought to him in the process and dignity. He was actually humbled through that entire experience. He wanted his healing, but not that way. He wanted to be treated like he, like he should be treated. You know, what are our terms that we have with God? But on a greater level, Naaman's skin disease is true of us all. And just like Naaman's skin disorder, it truly speaks to the deep defilement that we all experience as a result of sin. Because regardless of our wealth, regardless of our family tree, our culture, our extensive education, regardless of our moral character, we are all on the side of God as spiritual. 310, was it such one? And yet the grace of God is greater than any sin that we can commit. And it is only through God's river of grace that you can find healing. Uh, Naaman was right that the rivers seem a lot better in Syria, uh, but you can't find healing in the rivers of morality. You can't find healing in the rivers of being a better person or advancing in your career or through acquiring great wealth or through celebrity status. You'll never find it. We can only receive the gift that has been given us through Christ Jesus. Uh, many years ago, there was a pastor, um, uh, a Welsh pastor. His name was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, he shared an illustration that's always stuck with me. And one of the things he mentions is that the gospel is good news. It's not good advice. And what he meant by that, he says that, that with advice, advice is always counsel about something to do, but it hasn't yet happened. Um, and, but you can still make a decision and act upon that. So if you were going to the grocery store and you were buying a bunch of chicken that probably expired today, I probably wouldn't recommend that you get that, right? Um, especially if you didn't plan on making a meal for a few more days. That'd be kind of risky. That's advice. I'm giving you advice on what you can do. But you, you basically, you're, you're a grown person. You can make a decision on what you want to do with that. You can, you can act on what you feel is best. Whereas news, it's a report of something that already has happened. It's something that has already taken place. You can't do anything about it. All you can do is receive it and respond accordingly. So when you hear a news report, you're like, oh, that's good to know. There are new COVID restrictions. You know, that happily receive it and respond accordingly to it. And so then he went on to explain this, that imagine a great king uh, goes into a battle to defend his, na to defend his nation, that there's a, an invading army who's coming in to take over their country. And he said, if, he, if the king wins this battle, 
what he's going to do, he's going to send messengers to the people that live in the castle. And he's going to send them ahead, uh, ahead of the army because it's going to take the army a while to get to them. And the, the messengers are going to go, uh, the king has, has won, the, the king is victorious, uh, the enemy has been vanquished. Uh, go and enjoy the victory that your king has obtained for you. Like, that's good news. All you can do is respond in joy to that. But if the, king, uh, if the king loses the battle and the invading army breaks through, the king is also going to send messengers. But it's not going to be good news, right? It's going to be, hey, guys, they broke through our ranks. We're, we're scrambling. We're trying to get back to defend you. But you need, to, um, you need to reinforce the ramparts. You need to put on your armor. Everyone is going to have to fight to the death. You're going to have to do everything you can to save yourselves. You're going to have to fight for your lives. One is a response of pure joy, and one is a response of pure fear. The gospel is pure joy. It's good news. We can respond to what Christ has done on our behalf. But every, every other thing, every other religion, every other path, every other river is good. And you're going to have to fight for your own life. You're going to struggle and, and try to keep your head above water. You're going to continue to try to find your healing through that means, and you're not going to find it. God's grace is big, friends. It is so big. Its river is deep, but it can only be received. Um, gifts can only be received, right? God's grace is a gift. If you, did, if you had to do something to earn your gift, it's not really a gift at all, right? It's something you've earned along the way. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then verse 24, it says this, And are justified by his grace as a gift. Justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, perhaps the season of your life hasn't been pleasant. Just considering the, the pandemic, life has been a challenge for everyone. We've all had to make difficult decisions and miss out on important events and times together. But on top of that, maybe you've experienced personal problems, health problems, mental health issues, relational strain, whatever that is. Um, we all have experienced a great deal of suffering and as we look back at the story one last time, I just want us to notice that also every single one of these characters has experienced suffering. Nestle has, has everything going for him, and yet he is struck down with sickness. This slave child had been taken away from her family and her friends or home to serve in a pagan culture that is not her own. Elisha, this man of God, he was bald. That was his suffering. Second um, Kings two, um, but he also he had to also he he was going through a, a drastic career change. He was living life as a farmer, and then he had just like just a few chapters before had had become um, this prophet that God was using. He was he would also suffer with an illness. We read in the text. There's so many things that are happening in this this story here. But each of these characters was experiencing something that they didn't necessarily want or ask for. They were given the hand that was dealt them. And let me just say that a larger story always encompasses our stories of suffering. A larger story always will encompass our stories of suffering. In John 19, we read that when Jesus was crucified, the soldiers stripped him. They took his clothing and gambled over it, and they put Christ to open shame. And Jesus hung on a cross, naked and exposed to the elements, so that you and I could be clothed in his love. Um, author K.J. Ramsey says it this way, she says, God entered the human story in the body of his beloved son to provide the clothing for our shame that we could never sew with our grasping, fragile hands. He doesn't turn away from our shame and our suffering. He pursues us 
in it with loving sight in his own body. It's a suffering that we all face. It has the power to erode our trust, love for us. But it also has the power to reinforce his love for us. Um, when we go through suffering, that's exactly what can happen. We, we will face a crossroads when we go through difficulty and suffering. It'll either erode our trust in Christ or it will reinforce his love for us. Suffering will show our insufficiency of our man-made idols, which we didn't even know that when Christ, we know, was not unfamiliar with suffering. He faced abandonment. He experienced chronic homelessness. He was misunderstood. People tried to take advantage of him. People tried to silence him. He was tempted. Um, we know that he is fully God and fully man. And if we believe he was fully man, he went through puberty. He had pimples. He had diarrhea. He suffered along with us. Um, he knew what it was like to be human. In Isaiah 53, 3, it reads that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. Name and suffering the servant's girl's suffering, Elisha's suffering, all were used as a vehicle of grace. Friends, I just want to challenge us that when you face suffering, which you will, you press moment, let me allow that you're experiencing to erode your trust in Christ. Instead, let us cling closer to Christ. Let us cling to our hope in him. And let us trust in the one who has truly overcome. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we experience and he is the means of grace which we can find our true healing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you do offer us that river of grace. Um, you do offer it to us freely. If only that we would go and faithfully submit to you, Lord. I just pray that we would trust you at your word that we would believe you at your word and that we would obey you at your word. That even as it seems so difficult and odd for us to sometimes do it, Lord, let us be faithful servants, Lord. I pray that as a church that we would be faithful, that we'd be a faithful bride to you, that we would trust you at your word, Lord, and that we would obey your word. Let us follow you. You know, If we are truly your sheep, we know your voice. And we will follow you, Lord. Let us do that today, we pray, Lord. Help us in that. Lord, thank you for that river of grace that you offer so freely to us, the sinful, broken people. Let us trust you, Lord, we pray. Amen.